I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. I'm Jesse Cofield. Well, fellas, after this week, we will officially be halfway through the 18-week NFL season. Can you believe it? It hurts me just to say that. And while we might feel like we have a grasp on what's going on in the NFL, the past few seasons have shown that teams can make Late pushes here make a big change to the playoff picture as we come down the stretch. In 2021, the Eagles were 3-6 and six after Week 9, went 6-2 and two down the stretch to make the playoffs. 49ers 3-5 and five after Week 8, went 7-2 and two down the stretch to make the playoffs. Emerson Lazia, you can record this part. The Jags were 3-6 and six in 2022 after Week 9, went 6-2 and two down the stretch to make the playoffs, including five straight to close out the season. So, guys, this begs the question... Who are the top candidates here who maybe don't have like the hottest record to make a run down the stretch in the NFL? Who would we choose here? It's a a real daunting task to try and sift through all this because I I think when you look at the anatomy of a bunch of those outfits, 
a lot of it can become boiled down to quarterback play, especially for the Jags last year coming off that bye week. You saw some of the best of Trevor Lawrence down the stretch of that season. Dad, teams that would qualify here in this range, you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, who are sitting at 3-4, and four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 3-4, and four, the Texans, the Titans, the Rams at 3-5, and five, the Colts at 3-5, and five, and the Patriots sitting there at 2-6. and six. Dad, I think I'm going to comfortably take off from this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I yes. just think that we've already seen their best punch in a lot of ways and that this was a roster at the beginning of the season that a lot of people looked at and thought would be a number one pick contention. They have overcome that, I think, in large part, no, in lo, no small part, due to the fact that they play in one of the worst divisions in football. I'm going to take the Texans and the Titans out of that also, just the rookie quarterback I factor. Agree. It's not that I don't think these guys – will stop being great. I think we've seen C.J. Stroud already prove that this is pretty sustainable. Will Levis gets to do it on a short week this week. And so I would really circle in on either the Rams or the Chargers just because those are rosters that have enough talent and veteran quarterback play to actually get that done. Everyone else is either dealing with a rookie or a backup or being the New England Patriots who have the second-worst point differential in football. I, I agree with the teams you're taking out, and the teams that are staying in, I look at quarterback, I look at schedule, and I look at defense. So you have the Rams and the Chargers. I do as well. I'm going to throw in the Colts. Just for the fact, Mike, they play New England, Tampa, Pitt, Las Vegas, Houston, Carolina, Tennessee, Cincinnati's a tough one, and Atlanta. It's not the most daunting schedule. Now, they're not one of the better teams, but it's not a team like they're playing Cincinnati and Baltimore and San Francisco and Philly. It's not a, a wow, they're going to get smoked record or, or um, a schedule. So that's one of the reasons I kind of lean them, leave them in there. But I do lean to the Rams and to the Chargers. Now, for the Rams, man, you're in the same division with San Francisco and Seattle. That's the so toughest part for that, me is that being makes in the tough. NFC West the way that they've yep. played so far this so, season. So you, you wonder if you lead, lean to the Chargers, who offensively looked good last week, albeit against the Bears, a game that I called. And they have the 31st-ranked defense in the league. I mean, now they're, they're decent yeah. against a run. They hold teams to under 100 yards against a run, but their defense is not very good, and you have a defensive coach. The Rams' defense is 17th in the league. The Colts is 28th. The best defense of all these teams we've talked about is New England. New England is the only top 10 defense, and they're number 10 of all these teams we're talking about. Everybody else is 17th or lower, all the way down to 31, as I mentioned, with the Chargers. Uh, but New England, to me, just doesn't have the offense to be able to compete at all. So I, I go Rams, I go Chargers, and because of the schedule, way on the outside, you know, on the outside, you know, can they make a run down the stretch is the Colts because of the schedule. No, it's a great point. Like the AFC South kind of akin to what we talked about with the NFC South where right, you're going right. to have an opportunity just because so many of those teams – are in transition, are you know the Titans breaking in a new rookie quarterback despite having Mike Vrabel as their head coach, and then the rest of what they've got going on there. So I think that's probably the way to organize it. Dad, the Rams have been the ones that have been most disappointing to me as of late considering how they started to where right. they currently sit now. And part of that is... The Seahawks have proven last year was not just a one-year wonder. That's a team that looks legit. You look early on here, 
back-to-back losses for the Rams. The Cowboys, I don't fault them as much for. That's a Cowboys team that should be accomplishing at this level. But losses against the Steelers are the kind of things that you can't avoid. And even you look back at the Bengals in week three, that was not the same Cincinnati team that we're seeing right now. That was Joe Burrow just starting to feel a little bit better, just starting to get back into form a little bit. But, you know, you look outside of that Steelers loss, forgivable losses for this team, and they've got enough offensive firepower. You've still got a game wrecker in Aaron Donald. You've got a few of the things that you can sprinkle in there and feel comfortable about, even if the last two-game skid hasn't inspired a ton of confidence. So I'm wondering, though, Mike, are the Rams what we thought they were? Because we didn't think about them much going into the season, right? Because Cooper Cup was still injured. They were they had the 49ers who we thought were going to run away with things, but they're not. And Seattle in there. And then they start out three and one with uh, you know, Puka and Tutu. I mean, and we're like, what the hell is going on? How are how are they doing this? So did we get kind of led down the path a little bit of boy, maybe they're way better than we thought, but as of late, it's more like, okay, this is more of what we thought. So I wonder what team it is. They do have Cooper Cup back, obviously. That helps on the offensive side. But So we've seen two different teams, and I wonder where they fall in the middle on that, in that parameter. It probably is somewhere in the midst of that, right? Like That was a team that was trying to bounce back off one of the most injured offensive lines that I can remember in like recent history last season. Where I mean, New York Giants fans are getting acquainted with this now based on how much rotating has gone on in that lineup with some of the injuries there. But it was just wholly unsustainable for them last year. And you had so much turnover. You saw the roster churn from the remnants of those champion, the championship team with all of that they mortgaged to get to that point. They had to pay at some point, and part of it was hard to predict, Dad, because these were young players stepping up in roles that we didn't see coming. You know, Puka Nakua, who seems yep. like a household name now, was not going into the season. And to do what he did without Cooper Cup, and then when Cooper Cup still came back, is remarkable and something that most I, – I would imagine nobody outside of his family would have predicted yeah, going into this season. So yeah. I think those things were difficult to kind of come by, and so it's why when you also weighed that against the division that they played in and what we've expected from the 49ers what we've expected from the Seahawks who I don't know dad maybe you can spin that as the reason they might have a little bit better a chance one of the reasons I felt emboldened by this Los Angeles Rams team early on was because of how they played early in the season against the 49ers in a division game where we had expected the 49ers to chew everyone up and spit them out and walking into that one maybe now we're seeing hey that's more this 49ers defense right now is falling short of the standard that we've seen from the last few years versus this Rams offense is necessarily getting back to the greatest show on turf and I was wrong they were two and two in their first four not three and one they beat the Seahawks they lost to the 49ers lost to the Bengals and then beat uh the Colts uh in overtime uh the other team the Chargers again the defense scares me but the offense finally looked like the Charger offense in the game I we were both at uh, on Sunday night with Herbert. With the caveat well. that it's against the Bears. Exactly. But yeah. Austin Eckler being used, you know, the way we all think he should be used. And also, listen, their remaining schedule, they got some tough ones. Listen, they have Detroit, Baltimore, Buffalo, Kansas City. But they do have, they have Denver twice, though we shouldn't, you know, I don't know how much you poo-poo Denver. They just beat KC. The Giants, Green Bay, and New, and New England. So the three real tough ones there are Detroit, Baltimore, and KC. And then certainly, oh, Buffalo, you throw that in there as well. So They get half, all those at home, though, which they is do. huge. Yes, so. they do, which, which, which is big for sure. Although, I guess – for the Chargers getting a game at home. At home really is, the, yeah. 
kind of depends on who you're depending. playing, right? I mean, if if it's well, a getting well-traveled team, yeah. yeah, Detroit, that is going to be. We've seen the way yep. Detroit is yeah, showing up on the road this season. They basically took over. What was it, Tampa Bay, where right. you had all those Lions fans in the lower bowl after the game just getting buck. I very much fear with the Chargers game. I've now been to three Chargers games because of you and calling games for Sunday Night Football with Westwood One, and at each Chargers game, my metric for what kind of opposing team we're dealing with is does it actually sound like a Chargers home game or not? And yep. in most games, when it was the Dolphins that played there last year, it was overwhelmingly Miami crowd. When it was the Cowboys that played here this year, it was actually about a 50-50. I couldn't tell who the crowd was cheering for based on the reaction to certain events in the game. The Bears game was the first game that sounded like a Chargers home game for yep, me. That yeah, one, based on where the Bears season's at, not totally unsurprising. But for Detroit, for Buffalo, and for Kansas City, I'd imagine if people were looking, especially, Dad, at these games as we're getting into colder weather right now, that's a nice vacation opportunity for a lot of these teams. A lot yep. of chance to get out of the cold that you're in and get on out here for some of the Southern California weather. And man, oh man, is that not a great time. I, I can't imagine what that's like preparing for as a Chargers team where you might have to work on silent count for your home. Yeah. Games based for your on home what game. opposing crowds do. It's got to be amazing. But listen, we we said that when the teams were going to LA, right? I I, I, oh, I said right I, out I of get the it, gate. But yeah. man, seeing it in practice yeah. like we have is jarring. Like you said, using the silent count when you're at home is a really a stunning thing. It is. It's truly amazing. So uh, the Chargers definitely are in that. But man, I, I at this point. Kind of like we talked about with the Dallas Cowboys, Dad. After the Cowboys got blown out with the 49ers, a lot of people said, what am I? What would they have to do for me to trust them in a big-time moment in the postseason again? For the Chargers, they're going to need to do a lot for me to trust them again outside of the preseason hype machine that builds every year because every year going into the season, we look at the roster, we look at the talent there, we say the ultimate caveat if they stay healthy, which is a rarity in Chargers country – then wow what they could accomplish yeah. and it seems like every year we are continually let down like we've been to start this season to where we're talking about each and every week is the head coach going to keep his job like right. this race between him and McDaniels and Matt Eberflus for the coaches that might unfortunately lose their job first in the course of the season it turned to that version of the conversation far too quickly and so it's going to take a lot for me to trust this Chargers team again and I'm inclined and wired to want to based on the kind of names and tantalizing talent they have yeah and and what a matchup Monday night, you know, that Charger offense, which we saw with the caveat, it was the Bears. Now it's a Jets defense, which is a really, really good defense. So this is a bigger test uh, for that Charger offense and certainly for the Charger defense against the Jet offense. Now, it's not like the Jets offense is this unbelievably explosive offense by any stretch, but this Charger defense has to get has to play start playing so much better when I say that that just means by the guys that are on the field because you ain't changing anything trading deadline is over as far as bringing anybody in you got the players you got so they just have to start executing better and winning their one-on-one battles by the way uh if you're a Washington Commanders fan who's wondering why your name wasn't added to this list of teams under 500 who might have a shot down the stretch here you just sold your entire I mean wash I don't have to explain to Washington fans but having just sold off half of your defensive line and those former first rounders that you had all picked up there and oh by the way playing the Cowboys twice San Francisco and Miami in this back half 
I'm going to comfortably put them on ice. Like, yeah, I know you're I, not I, supposed I, to I, do that. I know they no. could, in theory, come back and bite me in the ass. I feel pretty comfortable in saying that the Washington Commanders' goals lie elsewhere in this season, and that schedule is probably going to be prohibitive of them being involved in any real meaningful conversation. I agree. You talk about that on the defensive side and, and on the offensive side. I believe five minutes ago, Sam Howell got sacked again. So I mean, Sam Howell's just, and Shadour Sanders need a support group. And I understand really, with, with Sam – a lot more of it is his doing because of the style of play that he has. But regardless, both of those dudes are getting hit a lot, and it has a to lot. suck. Yeah, and, and for both of them, listen, we, we have to say it's on them as well for holding on to the ball at times. But but clearly the old lines are not uh, what they need to be on those two teams. Completely agree. Um, speaking of struggling teams, Jesse... Uh, we've got another team that's got an interesting outlook for the rest of the season here. Uh, we talked about one of their division mates, but the Green Bay Packers, also a group that quietly is getting very, very nervous about the long-term prognosis coming off back-to-back future Hall of Fame quarterbacks that have led the franchise to Super Bowls. Now you're staring down the barrel of that grim reality of how the other half lives. Yeah, I mean, we're almost halfway through Jordan Love's first season as starting quarterback here, and still no conclusive answer about whether he is going to be the team's long-term answer here. You know, we got 10 games left. It's going to be very important 10 games, and, um, you know, I think he's done a lot of really good things. Really like the way he's responded to, to the adversity, uh, how he's led the team. Um, you know, again, we got to be better as a unit, and uh, I expect that to happen over the next 10 games. Um, and, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're going through some things um, that we knew we would go through. Um, you know, we haven't had the results we want, but I do like the way the guys are responding to things. When the group as a whole is not functioning the way it should function, it's hard to evaluate anybody. So um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's on us to get that right, you know, so we can move forward and evaluate the guys that we have in that, in that room. Um, but, uh, yeah, it does, when, it, when we're not clicking, it's, it's tough to evaluate anything. I mean, Packers two and five under Love's tutelage here and not exactly a ringing endorsement. No, uh, Goody Man's got to be feeling the heat right now. They all do. You can see, Dad, in this stretch why Matt LaFleur was so willing to go out and publicly have Aaron Rodgers back in the midst of a bunch of controversial comments he was making in public because Matt LaFleur knows how much better he looks at his job when you have got that man playing quarterback versus Jordan Love playing quarterback. And that's not to slight Jordan Love and say that he's been terrible. He certainly hasn't been great, especially passing the ball downfield this season. He's completing under 60% of his passes, but everybody looks better when they're coaching a future Hall of Famer. And I'm sure Matt LaFleur in the midst of all that will they won't they bring him back do they want Aaron Rodgers is like I can tell you one person who does and who misses him dearly right now Uh, so is this the only shot Jordan Love gets I mean is it this year is is this where we are we know some teams move quickly does he sit for the four and get one year to decide three or four he sat and then now the one year to decide what's going on because we're talking about teams that are you know another team you know, in Atlanta, gave the reins to Desmond Ritter, and that's not happening. They bench him. It goes to Taylor Heineke, which leads you to believe that they don't have a quarterback of the future on their roster right now. Which right? is a lot easier to do, by the way, with Desmond Ritter, who wasn't a former first-round Exactly. But we're talking about other teams that may go for a quarterback, Chicago, Arizona, and others out there as well. And there's only so many to go around. You know, the top-ranked quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, 
Drake May, Shador Sanders, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. How many go in the first round? How many are up there as first-round talent where you're bringing them in and saying they're going to be the new face to this team? So that's what I wonder about Jordan Love. Does he get more than this year to say, okay, that was really, while you're a, a, you know, a veteran player, that was your first year as a quarterback, and we're going to give you another year to try and grow into that? Yeah, the more and more I go along to in this college football season, I'm really not sure if there are more than two first-round quarterbacks in this draft class. But you know four will go in the first round. Right, exactly. But I I think we'll do a lot of talking ourselves into the other two there. They could sneak in. They could be back-end guys. And for the Green Bay Packers, it's going to be the exercise of where do you fall? I think like a a lot of teams – so much of this is going to be just how bad you end up being and are you in range of one of those guys versus sitting in the middle, sitting towards the end of the first round here that's going to decide that. Because I don't know either what the NFL free agent tracker looks like for players going into next year. So you'd have Kirk Cousins, who's going to be a technically free agent, but coming off the injury now. Ryan Tannehill on that same boat. You look on down the list, Dad, it's mostly guys in that backup quarterback class that are going to be named in the free agents for next year. And so there is kind of this gap where, okay, you've got Jordan Love for next year. I believe what is the he signed a one he signed that one year extension with the Packers that goes into next season. Right. So they could yeah. technically have him under contract right. for that next year. And it just might be the devil you know at this point. Yep. Yeah. No, I I think I agree. I think and we'll see where they finish up the year, you know, and who's in the uh, in the spot to be able to grab a quarterback early. Because as you said, and we know, we've seen, you'll get talked into a couple of more quarterbacks going in the first round. That's why normally it's a 50-50 shot on uh, whether the quarterback's successful or not in the first round. Then you really set yourself back. But I would have a feeling he would get another year. He gets one year in the system. He'd get another year to kind of see what he does. And next year would be more his year is he going to stay and be the future quarterback of the Packers or will they make a move then we know they've had all the churn in the offensive line in front of them we know that Christian uh Christian uh his wide receiver whose last name just immediately left my brain Watson uh Watson yeah came back late from injury there were a bunch of understandable reasons why this offense didn't take off early because you're trying to hit a moving target with all that change but the bottom line is kind of like you talked about in Atlanta all that that move, benching him for Taylor Heineke, indicates is they're considering all their options going forward. And I think for Green Bay, with what we've seen from Jordan Love so far, while it might not be definitive, they are in the we're considering all of our options phases of team building right now for that group. Coming up next, though, one of the options that we've talked about for young players got exercised by Tennessee last week. But what does Will Levis do for part two? We get to that next here on Go Joan Golick. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. 
Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. So before we get to a little Thursday night football look ahead in the NFL... Dad, we got some Thursday snitching about to go on in the Big Ten. Pete Thamel over at ESPN reporting that sources said on a Big Ten coaches call today, a vast majority of the league's coaches encouraged new commissioner Tony Petiti to punish Michigan amidst its NCAA sign-stealing investigation. The quote from a source said, collectively, the coaches want the Big Ten to act. Dad, we've seen a number of instances over the years, a lot of times in the professional level where an incoming commissioner or someone in a position of power walks immediately into controversy and is forced to act. This for Tony Petiti, you want to talk about potentially career-defining on the way into your conference. You have got the team right now that is your second-highest-ranked squad in the conference, but I think in most people's minds, the one that they think has the best chance of winning a national title for the Big Ten this season based on what we know about Michigan, potentially with a chance to add to the hardware container for your conference at a time where that seems to be one of the biggest competitive things between you and the SEC. While you've got the rest of the conference staring you in the face as you've just taken over this job going, what are you going to do about this team that we all believe is dogging us out using this weirdo to steal signs from us? Oh, yeah. I, I, they, they know that if left to the NCAA, I, I'm not kidding when I say you'll get a decision in 2026. You know, maybe 25 at the earliest, but probably 26. And, and I guess my question still comes down, Mike, to what can they do? Now, the Big Ten technically has authority under its sportsmanship policy to punish Michigan or members of the coaching staff. Again, we don't know what that punishment is. What I've nope. read is fines and or suspensions. I'm sure Big Ten coaches would like to see them, you know, out of any postseason play, be it Big Ten championship or college playoffs. A, I don't know if that's within the Big Ten's purview to be able to punish that way. And B, they're not going to come down with anything while the NCAA is investigating it. They're not going to say, we know you're investigating it. We have enough evidence on our side to say, I mean, you know what, uh, we're going to punish you right now. And, and when I say punish, punish in a way that has an effect because that's what the Big Ten coaches are looking for. They're yes. looking for a punishment of determined. It's just like when you punish a child. You know, you want to make that make that punishment so the child doesn't do it again, right? You don't want to just make it some soft thing where, oh, okay, that's a slap on the well, wrist, boy. I guess I want to. So, what can the Big Ten do? It's not even punished so they won't do it again, although I'm sure that's part of it. It sounds like these coaches, because the words used on the call were tainted, fraudulent, unprecedented. They don't want them to be able to win the title this that's year. That's exactly I'm right. I'm sure they all see yeah. the real possibility that this could happen, and all of the rest of them. They said this call was about 90 minutes, and about an hour of that was without Jim Harbaugh on the phone. Like Jim was there, and then he hung up so everyone could speak freely, and then it was an hour of these people talking smack about the way that this has gone, apparently explaining to Tony Petiti how this sign stealing worked how it affected their team it was 
a lot of people apparently getting something off their chest yeah. because, Dad, you're right. They want the Big Ten to act before the yes. NCAA because they, they all do. know how slow this works. Yep. And I, I think that's what it comes down to is they're looking at Tony Petiti asking, hey, we understand that in the big picture – in the sands of time, this could be good for the Big Ten if Michigan goes on and wins. But for all of us here and now, we can't stand watching them to win the way that we believe they've so, won. So let me ask you this. A fine does nothing, okay? It, so if it, in fact, is it either a fine or a suspension of coaches, let's just leave it at that because I haven't read any more that they can say you can't be in the Big Ten championship or the, or the play, than, than subsequently the playoffs. So let me ask you this way. We saw Jim Harbaugh was suspended for the first three games against teams they blew out, and it was kind of laughable as players were saying free Harbaugh and all that ha-ha-ha stuff. What if, let's just hypothetically say, that the Big Ten stepped in right now and said, Jim Harbaugh, you are suspended for the rest of the season. What effect do you think that would have on this team as, you know, they have to play Penn State, they have to play Ohio State, they have to play a Big Ten championship, and then possibly into the playoffs as well, if they didn't have Harbaugh at the helm? Uh, to say it would have no effect would, I, I think, diminish Jim right. Harbaugh's role Agreed. too much. He deserves a lot of credit. We'd probably see another line of players holding up fours or whatever they did to yeah. honor Jim Harbaugh <laughs> as if he were lost. Um, but... I still think that's a really good football team that's going to have a hard time losing in most yep, of these games. I agree. Especially the Penn State game. Ohio State might be a little bit more of a coin flip. It would have an effect, but I think like if you pulled these Big Ten coaches, I'd imagine the answer they want is we want a postseason ban for them. We exactly. don't want them to be able to compete in right. the college football playoff of the Big Ten championship right. based on what we've seen. It would be unprecedented. So, again, we're fighting against everything we've seen in the history of the sport in terms of punishment, but that's where we currently sit right now. So the coaches got to vent. It's all out there, and now Tony Petiti becomes one of the most important men in sports. He was already, but now he's got one of the most important decisions Not that could happen. define his tenure as the Big Ten Not commissioner. And if it doesn't, Dad, then I'm sure it's going to be a very uncomfortable relationship between yep. him and the rest of the Big Ten coaches and Big Ten schools who are all going to look at how he handles this and hold him accountable for it no matter what the outcome is. Uh, so we'll have plenty more information on that because every day that story changes and is insufferable. But, Jesse, we've got Thursday night football tonight here. Let's lay this out here as we've got Titans and Steelers in a game that's become infinitely more interesting since last Sunday. Yeah, narrative boost, right? With Will Levis here looking to improve to 2-0 in his career after that four-touchdown debut, but it's going to be a big test for him against a stout Steelers defense. 22 sacks on the season. 15 takeaways. Now on the other side, Kenny Pickett going to be a game time decision with Pittsburgh, although Pickett says, I'm playing for sure. So we caught up with Brian Fitzpatrick on this one and what to expect specifically for Will Levis. As you get tighter in the red zone there where a quarterback's got to make good decisions, he's going to have some pressure on him. You're going to have to get through your first and second read. Uh, so, so as you get into those things, when it just gets that much more difficult, defenses get more difficult. There's more pressure on you. There's more pressure on you to make decisions faster. You're throwing the ball before somebody comes out of his break. Those are the things like as you progress as an NFL quarterback, you just get better and better at. But, um, you know, things he didn't have to do a ton of in that first game. I mean, all eyes are going to be on Will Levis. This is just like honing in, baby. 
Yeah, this is uh, prime for the overreaction bowl in this game, right, Dad? If this Pittsburgh defense that comes out, and while they haven't statistically performed up to par, still has a bunch of dudes on it that can wreck a game, still has one of the best head coaches in the NFL right now, you could absolutely see them crafting a game plan that all of a sudden gets a rookie in some more difficult situations, he throws a couple interceptions, and all of a sudden we've completely swung the balance of how people talk about Will Levis in public, when in actuality it was always probably somewhere in the middle with him. But the, the one reason I may lean toward Tennessee in this one, Mike, is this Pittsburgh defense, you mentioned statistically, they're near the bottom, but they do uh, are, what, 11th in the NFL with 22 sacks and second in the NFL with 15 takeaways, but who else does Tennessee have on that offense? A really good guy in the backfield, right? And Pittsburgh is 27th against the run. That could be Will Levis' best friend. It, It normally is for a quarterback, but for a young quarterback, If they can get a running game going on a defense that has given up yards on the ground with King Henry, that could really, really help Will Levis. Big boost for Pittsburgh in that regard. Cam Hayward, their veteran defensive tackle, activated off the injured reserve this week, expected to be available for this game. And he's one of the most important players on that roster, especially when it comes to being stout against the run. And that is going to be the battle. Because, Dad, you go back and you watch Tennessee's win, and so much of what they did is because Derrick Henry was so successful because they could just hand it off to him on first and second down. They could be masters of the obvious. But Will Levis did hit shots. And I I think we talked about that with Fitz. It was one of the most encouraging things is while they gave him the opportunities to cut it loose off down the field he was also fearless with that right you saw him celebrating from his back after letting it fly down there and giving his guys a chance seeing DeAndre Hopkins one of the best contested catchers during his time in the NFL say all right bleep it he's down there somewhere I'm gonna get it in range and he's gonna fill out the error for me the best friend again for Will Levis is watch the down and distance there are plays broken down to down and distance if Will Levis has third down and four or less or three and less that's advantage tennis see because that still opens the playbook up for him an awful lot so that that's what I look for in a game with a young quarterback how comfortable are you making third down for them it'll be fun to see if they get into some spots where he's got to do a little bit more straight drop back what it looks like for Will Levis going back to his best days at Kentucky they were a heavy play action scheme under Liam Cohen who's a Shanahan McVay tree kind of guy so Plenty to watch in a game we didn't think we were actually going to enjoy on Thursday Night Football. Coming up next, let's recap a Creed-fueled World Series win. (laughs) The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Last night, the Texas Rangers made history. They won their first World Series title over the Arizona Diamondbacks in Game 5. Goliks are standing by right now with Texas Rangers color analyst CJ Nikowski to talk about this incredible moment in history and in time. Yeah, CJ, we appreciate you joining us here. The first World Series in franchise history. Uh, uh, you know, congratulations. What was that like as the final out uh, was had there and you saw this moment the franchise had been waiting on for so long? Yeah, it almost seemed unbelievable, you know, quite honestly, just because of the way that this season had gone. This was a really good team uh, for a long time, and then they struggled. They were in first place for 160 days uh, this year for 162-game yeah. season. It's about 187, 188 total days. And to lose the division on the very last day of the season, it felt like the season was over, quite honestly. It just It felt like they blew it. Yes, they were going to the postseason, but there wasn't that, hey, we did this, what a great regular season. And for them to go on the run that they went on, uh, was incredible. And as far as the franchise goes, there's a lot of pain here from 2010, 2011, when the Rangers went to back-to-back -back World Series, didn't win either one of those, one strike away, a misplay, or, or you know, a lot of different ways to break down what happened in right field uh, for yeah. the Texas Rangers against the Cardinals. But they were that close. And they've been also living with the pain of having to watch their in-state rivals go on an unbelievable run with the Houston Astros. And to eliminate them in the American League Championship Series quite honestly felt like the World Series. But then to finish the deal here against the Arizona Diamondbacks for uh, this franchise, it's just an incredible moment for this fan base. So many great stats to go along with this. Tech, the Rangers now the first pro team in the four majors to win 11 games on the road uh, in the playoffs, which is in the postseason, which is just incredible. But take it through the game. You finish six innings, and here's Zach Gallen for Arizona. Not only is there no score, but he's throwing no-hit ball. So where, where were you and your thoughts at that point of the game? You know, it's so interesting because if you think about some of the more dominant starting pitchers in the game over the years, there's that party that's going, man, is he going to finish this thing? Is he going to be so dominant and shut out this really good Texas Rangers offense? The difference when you're watching the Diamondbacks, and this is not a knock on Zach Allen, is that we know that they don't want to go too deep with their right. pitchers. They have a plan in place. The game has changed pretty dramatically, and more often than not, you're not going to take any chances. I mean, I, I don't doubt that Tori Lavella was thinking about pulling Zach Allen out last night with a no-hitter, knowing he would have faced an unbelievable amount of criticism for doing it, but also for sticking to the plan. They have X amount of batters that they like their pitchers to be able to face, depending on who it is, and they have certainly reached that point and then some. And the question becomes, how many times can you really go through a Texas Rangers order, even without Adolis Garcia, and continue to throw well? It was a nothing-nothing game. The other part, if you watch enough baseball over the years, when you see the Arizona Diamondbacks have all those opportunities with runners in scoring position and they don't get a run across while your pitcher is throwing a no-hitter. There's no data, there's no science behind this, but it feels like, you know what, they're not going to win this game. They had so many opportunities early. Their guy's throwing a no-no. They can't break through. Something is about to go the Rangers' way, and then eventually it did. We'll get to you know Corey Seager, who ultimately is named the MVP of this round and becomes just the fourth player in Major League history with multiple World Series MVPs to his name. But you said the name I wanted to get to, Adolis Garcia, what we'd seen him mean both on the field and just as a spark for this locker room over the course of this postseason run. How impressive was it what they were able to do in these last couple of games after you get the announcement that he is going to miss the rest of this World Series? It certainly was discouraging, but I will tell you this, watching this team, that was my seventh year doing Texas Rangers games, but this year in particular, uh, watching this club, the, one of the big keys to their success was this kind of next man up mentality, of course, which we have all heard 
uh, of playing professional sports or any sports for that matter. And that'd be professional, right? Somebody goes down, somebody else has to step up. It had been going on all year long and it had been different guys at different times. Corey Seager went on the IL twice this year. At one point, Ezekiel Duran was a guy who stepped in and was hugely important. A lot of people I know, these are names that most people don't know. He should have been an all-star this year and he wasn't. And then he had a really bad second half and he wasn't even on the postseason roster. He got added after the injury uh, to Adolis Garcia, but it's guys like him who have been doing it all year long. It was Mitch Garver stepping in when Jonah Heim went down. He went on the IL, uh, of course, the catcher for the Texas Rangers. Travis Jankowski stepping in and doing a great job uh, in left field, then getting the opportunity with Garcia uh, going down. So it doesn't surprise me that the Rangers were still able uh, to put together some really good offensive games. Now, over the long term, is that going to work out not having Adolis Garcia in your lineup? Uh, probably not, but in the short term, it worked out really well. Guys stepped in. Jankowski had a really good game, uh, his first start that he had after we found out that Garcia was no longer going to be available. I love that the rest of the kind of maybe casual baseball world uh, got introduced to Adeliz Garcia because we've watched him here now for a couple of years. He's a fascinating guy, big, strong dude, kind of a, a gentle giant. I know we saw some aggression from him in the American League Championship Series against the Houston Astros. That's not his personality. He gets pitched in all the time, and he does a pretty good job of just go ahead and jog down to uh, first base. But it's different, obviously, in the postseason. And he's been a clutch guy since he's been a Texas Ranger. And so now we got to do it on the biggest stage. Nobody is surprised that has watched this team to see him show up the way that he did. And then once he got hurt, to see the way that he showed up as a teammate for this club. Yeah, you're right. To the casual fan, it was kind of an, uh-oh, is this guy not in the lineup? lineup? Or Scherzer it was kind of a wild card anyway. He, you know, coming off of injury, coming back, how much was he going to going to be able to contribute and got hurt as well. So Bruce, Bruce Bochy gets his fourth World Series. There are now five teams, Colorado, Milwaukee, San Diego, uh, who is it, Seattle and Tampa, that have not won a World Series. And this is how it works, as, as you know, uh, CJ. You get a day to enjoy it, and then you're asked about next year. Atlanta's already put in as a favorite next year until Shoei Otani ends up with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers will be uh, <laughs> the, the, the top pick. Where where do you see this team of the pieces they have together of what they're going to hang on to about you know continuing this? What's kind of amazing is that for the most part, this entire team could be back, right? You have a couple of free agents. I shouldn't say the entire team. Mitch Garver being one of them, Andrew Heaney uh, has an opt-out. Uh, but when you look at the main pieces, the lineup, uh, there is nobody uh, outside of Mitch Garver, of course, as the DH uh, that is not returning. And so you have that entire starting nine, uh, when you, or I should say starting eight defensively uh, in the field, and then most of your pitchers coming back. Now there's some injuries there, of course, with uh, guys like Jacob deGrom knowing he won't be back probably until at least August. But for the most part, this team is still intact. It's interesting, though, because I, I wondered about this part, right? Had they lost the World Series, would it change the way they go about their offseason would they be continue to be aggressive and they've been very aggressive over the last couple of seasons or because you won one do you just go ahead and keep the group together maybe try to add a small piece or two knowing that you have a team that has already been there and done that my guess is that's probably the route that they go and the tweaks that'll be made uh, they'll look at the dh spot if mitch garver does not return and then a couple of pieces in the bullpen the way that this bullpen kept this thing together was a minor miracle, uh, quite yeah. honestly. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew the bullpen was a problem. And I was talking about kind of that next man up mentality. It was going on the entire season long. Josh Boers was a huge piece early. Then he struggled mightily and was dealing with injury. Jose LeClerc had been around for a while, but he wasn't a trusted arm. Those two guys in particular got it going 
late in the season, just in time. Of course, they added uh, Araldis Chapman. He was really good when he first got to the Rangers, got a little kind of iffy there for a while, and you can see how Bruce Bochy was using him, really wouldn't let him face more than three hitters and get into uh, too much trouble, despite the fact that he's still touching 102 and 103 miles per hour at times. That, to me, is probably the miracle of this entire thing, that somehow, some way, Bruce Bochy uh, using that Bochy magic on the bullpen and keeping this thing together in a couple of arms, again, that probably most people had never heard of, uh, were key. They don't They don't win a World Series without Josh Spores and Jose LeClerc. And they managed to do it, though. Like you said, that bullpen did hold on. They did get what they needed. And now the Texas Rangers get to call themselves World Series champions for the first time in franchise history. Had to be an incredible one run to see up close and personal the way you did. CJ, we appreciate you giving us some time and the insight on this. Thanks so much. Of course. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, CJ. Appreciate it. And Mike, baseball we know is is stats, right? So just a couple here. I mentioned Bruce Bruce Bochy wins his fourth World Series. Listen to the company he's in. Casey Stengel and Joe McCarthy have seven. Connie Mack has five. Now Walter Alston, Joe Torrey, and Bruce Bochy have four. I mean, that is some incredible company he's with. And just for those who like the history buff, the history buffs for a team. The Texas Ranger history, remember in 61, they started out as the Washington Senators. In 72, they ended up in Texas. Five stadiums, almost two dozen managers, and 10,033 games later, they are finally World Series champs. So congrats to them on one hell of a long run there. (laughs) The answer to the age-old question, can you take me higher? Yeah, was answered in resounding fashion <laughs> by the Texas Rangers. Congratulations to them spitting in the face of people who want to play armchair television executive and tell you how bad the ratings were for this World Series. They don't care. Nope. Good luck. Coming up next, as we finish off the show, Dad, if you think I'm disrespectful to you at times as a son talking to their dad, wait till you see what one coach's son had to say to his dad next. All right, time to wrap this thing up the way we always do. This, that, the third. Three quick stories to send you off on into your day. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Do it. I'm serious. This isn't a joke. I don't say this for my health. (laughs) We're not playing. Uh, No, we're not playing about this. Never, ever. Gate ain't never played about. No. Uh, If you missed any of our great guests, CJ Nikowski, who joined us here, the color analyst for the Texas Rangers as they lifted the World Series trophy, or P.J. Carlissimo, great coach, got to talk to him about some of the NBA action coming up here. Make sure you go out and check that out wherever you get your podcast, or right here on YouTube. As soon as we get done, the whole show is up and ready for you. Guys, let's get to this. It be your own people sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. Your own critics sometimes are right inside your house. Shane Beamer and South Carolina have had a rough season. They were well thought of going into the year in the SEC East. And as they sit here right now with only two wins on the season, Shane Beamer, still a guy that wants to think about being a family man, being there and showing up for his folks, shared an interesting anecdote about some words from his son around this recent Halloween holiday. Take a listen. And I can take criticism because I get it from my own family. I I leave in the mornings before my wife and kids even wake up. So I FaceTime them every morning at 730 on their way into school. And today they were telling me that Hunter, my son, has a Halloween parade at his school where all the kids at his school, they dress up in their Halloween costumes and they walk around the track for however many minutes. And the parents come and they video and all that. And I was there for it last year. 
uh, because it was on a Monday and my wife was telling me that he had that today. And I said, well, why, why didn't you guys tell me anything about it? Um, and Emily said, well, I knew you had practice and meetings, so I didn't think you're going to be able to come. And then my Hunter, my son said, and it's also because you're two and six and you need to be in the office working. So I can take criticism. Um, so please don't think that because I get it at home worse than I get it on social media. Wow. Makes me wonder what Dabo's kids are saying to him right now. Wow. I mean, kids really will just say anything that pops into their brain, and it's part of what makes them so hysterical. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, it really do be your own people. Yeah, it really does. Though Mike, Jake, and Sydney had to be careful what they said to me growing up because I had a four-hour outlet every day where I could just hang them all out to dry, and I did at times. Yeah, it sounds like you were big punishment guys, so I'd be scared too. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the four-hour outlet really just meant that we actually could say whatever we want because you were going to make it up anyway. Even if yes. it was like somewhat close, you were going to horseshoes and hand grenade this thing yep. into something for the air, and that was always going to end poorly for us, so we might as well just pop off at home when we got the chance. I never got a chance to dunk on you quite that hard. Uh, that was savage. I, I, I That was tough. I, 12 I years old, like right? You, the kid's I 12, I feel like I you got to have a – and you know what? Tone matters a lot in how that was delivered. Like if it was like a ha ha thing, where right, you're trying right. to break the ice and make it seem a little bit less severe. But if it was delivered like a message board poster, that feels like something Hunter's learning from his friends at school. And maybe you got to think about pulling him out and putting him in private school. Yeah, or you got to at least discipline wrong. him somehow, some way, right? Like all for, for starters, all the Halloween candy would have been gone, done, gone, done, uh, got it all. He's Taking not wrong. He's not wrong. By the no. way, a quick aside, I, I, Mike, your mother was telling me on, on TV, and I forgot who said it, or I don't want to say who said it. What, either way, we're talking about, and now I'm going to get the name wrong, and she's going to mock oh, me. It was, some, it was something like a Halloween switch or something, where you take your kid's candy, and you say, give us all your candy, and we'll replace it with a present. Oh, like I, a gift. my mom did that with me. What is What little. the hell is that? Oh, wow. I got a cat. A living, breathing oh, come animal. On. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> just so tired. You know, I talk about houses doing it when you go to I different mean. houses. But in your own house, where they're pulling the old not too much sweets, give us your candy and we'll give you a present. Just stop it. No, Let but it's the a kids choice. Eat the candy. It was a choice. Cat, it was a choice. I was given. All right, the in choice. your house, it was a choice. Some houses, it's not a choice. Okay. They well, say give up the candy and we'll give you a present. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. Come think, on. Give them the choice. Let them choose their own fate. Did you, did you love the cat? Was it Yes! Cat? My cat was amazing. We got my cat trouble. We have my dog runner. They grew up together. The cat would play fetch. He was like a dog. He was my best friend. I loved him. But you know what I'll say? We have had dogs growing up. We have had a cat growing up. We continue to have dogs. And you know what our kids never had to give up? Their Halloween friggin' candy. Well, they got to have their candy and eat and it too and have pets. They had to get they got to have their candy and their cats. Okay. And their cat, exactly. As yeah. the saying does go here. Wow, what a journey that was. Uh speaking of cats, let's get to that. Jesse, uh the age-old question of airline decorum came into play again uh as a video emerged from over the weekend. Look at this uh little scuffle in the not so friendly skies. The whole trip, she pushed my seat. You no, you've seen it. You know she did. She put no. My, I'm allowed to put my seat back. I'm allowed to put my seat back. I'm allowed to put my seat back. The whole trip, she pushed my seat. Yeah, yeah. You're allowed to put your seat back. You are. But you shouldn't do it. Oh, really? Is that's your stance on this?
Mike oh, has yes. always had this stance. Very much. Okay. Yeah. I think I, you've got to fly with other people in mind. Flying is a team sport. We all have to have some awareness of the people around us. And if it's got a, if you're in an area where the seats have a lot of space around them, if you've got a very small person behind you, if they're also reclining their seat, you can take certain situations into right. account. But in general, like if you look back and see me, 6'4", crammed in there already, and you recline your seat, that's cool. You've made your decision. But like this lady found out, best believe you're going to wonder if that button works because my knees are going to be jammed so hard in the back of your seat because if that's your space, that's also my space. So if you want to walk into my dojo and you're not strong enough to get past me, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. I, I am not, Jesse, I am not as hardcore as Mike on that. I think it, it is your chair. If you'd like to you know, put it back some. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I do that though as well. I do look and see who's behind me. And rarely do I put my seat all the way back. I'll go rarely. Partially, I'll go partially back unless it's like a kid who has all kind of leg room. Then, then I'll go back. But while it can be just uncomfortable if somebody puts their seat all the way back, I am of the ilk. It is your seat. And if you want to put it all the way back, then so be it. My choice then is to put my seat back some to give me a little more room, but it is their seat. So well, I, I, I don't have as much of a problem as Mike does. Because perhaps it's, I mean, I'm a rule follower and you are not breaking any rules by reclining your seat. And I will say, I'm not a seat recliner. Like I don't get into my seat and recline my seat. But if the person in front of me reclines, it's kind of like the domino effect. I'm probably going to recline at least a little bit unless I also try and see who's behind me if there's but like my husband's a you know he's 6'2 he's a bigger guy he reclines his seat and he's like sorry you want more legroom you should have paid for it this is your seat you paid for it and the fact of the matter is we are all getting mad at the wrong people there's infighting going on and the real villain is the airlines who there are you making go, the plane smaller yep. and yep. cramming us in there like sardines I, I do agree with that, which is why, again, we're not going to change what they do at least anytime soon. And so no. all we can do is stick together. And when you recline your seat recklessly, you subvert that entire model of us all taking care of each other. And that woman complaining about someone jostling her seat, you know why your seat would get touched a lot less? If you didn't recline it, because <laughs> then I wouldn't be forced to interact with it in my space here again. I am going to go ahead He's and the recliner every He's time. Hardcore, I can't. It's selfish. Yeah. It's selfish behavior. And there are a lot of selfish people in the airport already. We don't need to add another one in there. I'm sorry, but wow. I won't apologize for wow. that. I mean, okay. I get it. People have their things. They're non-negotiables with airplanes. Mine is like if someone takes their shoes off, I you go to jail. You should go to jail. <laughs> I mean, if you leave the socks on and you keep it under the seat, I don't think. Yeah. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh let's, wow. Let's let's Oh, we need we need to do a whole segment on, on flying etiquette. Yeah, we let's do. get to the third. We will put a pin in that and come back to it. But uh wanna celebrate a timeless classic from Jesse and I's childhood. Fifty cents in the club reached diamond status yep. this last week. Ten million singles sold uh for 50 cent jesse i have such a vivid memory of going to buy get rich or die trying with my aunt tracy at strawberries the uh cd <laughs> store in avon connecticut when i was a kid do you have any close ties to 50 cent and what in the club gave us i mean i just remember i think i was in middle school just thinking that this was the pinnacle of musical yeah. like i was like who will never get tired of this song and i still am not tired of it that's why it's gone diamond like i listen to this song all the time 43rd hip-hop song to go diamond and 121st song of all time to do it out of all the songs out there. That's the, the club. such a small amount that has hit this amount. So congratulations to 50 Cent. It still gets and, me and going. It, it, 
It's a birthday anthem, too. Once you had that We Don't Give a Bleep, It's yep. Not Your yep. Birthday, it officially became the song that everyone would, in fact, play <laughs> for their birthday. So congratulations to former Farmington, Connecticut resident 50 Cent on this historic accomplishment. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review us. Thanks so much. We'll oh, talk boy. to you tomorrow. Yeah.